0: Here's Pastor Scott. And I'm going to read one verse of Scripture to you before I pray. These verses will be on the screen. In Psalm 139, verse 2, the Bible says, You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, God Knows My Thoughts and my actions pray with me god thank you for being the all-knowing god thank you for knowing everything about us lord thank you for being able to hear even the thoughts in our mind god i pray today that you'd strengthen my body anoint me to say the things that would honor you lord i pray you'd give us ears to hear what you have to say lord i pray that today you would move past our ears and speak to our spirit in jesus name amen i talked a little bit wednesday night about the necessity for Bible study and the reality that studying the Bible should do more than just inform you. God doesn't just want you to be informed. He wants us to be transformed. There are too many people sitting in church chairs and pews across the nation that are informed. They can tell you about God. They can tell you about the Bible. They can quote scripture. They can talk about all the things that they know about spirituality. But being informed is not the end goal. Being transformed is the end goal. And so I want you today to seek transformation. Surely there will be some information given. But if all you get out of coming to church is information, then you're just piling up knowledge against knowledge. And knowledge is not the end goal. Having the wisdom to apply those facts. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is knowing what to do with those facts. And if you're not being transformed by coming to church, you're missing the point. If you're not being transformed by reading the Bible, you're missing the point. If you're not being transformed in your daily walk with Jesus, then you're missing the point. If you're the same guy, the same gal today that you were six months ago, then you're missing the point of Christianity. The Bible says that God wants to take us from glory to glory, from one level of spirituality to the next level of spirituality. But if we had time to be honest and tell the truth this morning, many people used to be here And now they're here, or even here. That's not the right direction to go in. God wants to see his children healthy and growing. So I want you to seek transformation today. Say transform. All right, in our opening verse, the psalmist is speaking to God, and he says, you know when I sit down or stand up. Every time I read verses like this, I I, I think about that speech that I give you all, about Christmas and Santa Claus. I don't have a problem with Santa Claus. I don't do sermons about how if you change the spelling of Santa, you can get Satan and it's from the devil because I bet if I changed the spelling on one of your names, I could get something out of that. Uh, I don't have a problem with Christmas. Uh, I don't have a problem with, with Santa Claus other than the fact that he stole a song that can't apply to him because he doesn't see me when I'm sleeping. Uh, If there be a Santa Claus or a Saint Nick, he doesn't know when I'm awake. He doesn't know if I've been bad or good, I'll be good for goodness sake, but only God. He took a song, people ascribed a song to this mythical being that in all actuality speaks to who our God is. Because he sees you when you're sleeping, and he does know when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. The psalmist says, you know when I sit down or stand up? You know when I'm being still or when I'm moving? Is what he's literally saying. You know when I'm doing something or when I'm doing nothing, you see me at all times. But the word know in the Hebrew is a beyond sight. it's, It's a penetration of knowledge, a deep look into who we are at all times, whether still or whether moving. God knows who you are. This uh, this is a two-edged sword. The Bible says of itself that the Scripture is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. The fact that God knows exactly who you are is of great comfort to every real Christian. It's of great comfort to every real Christian who knows that there are times where we fall short, even though we desire to please God with everything that we have. There are times, even as real Christians, that we fall short, and it is a great comfort to know that God knows I love Him. It was the comfort that St. Peter pulled on when Jesus asked him in his after his resurrection, when he was sitting beside the lake making fish, and he asked Peter, do you love me? Now remember, Peter had already denied Jesus three times right before he was crucified. And many theologians say that Jesus was giving him three times to confess him. I don't really think that's what the point is, but he did in actuality deny him three times. And Jesus did ask him three times, do you love me? He asked them this in front of the other ten disciples. And these were all guys that knew you sold out. These were men who knew you've been the loud mouth of this crowd for the last year and a half. You made all them big, bold, if everybody else leaves you, Lord, I won't ever leave you. But he was the only one that verbally denied Jesus three different times in that last day, and so you know they were looking at him thinking, sell out, traitor, denier, big man, all talk, no action, can talk it but can't walk it. And Jesus asked Peter, because you know, the, if, if you're a real Christian and you love God, you know the shame of failing him. And so Peter is in his shame. Peter Peter is in his own personal understanding of the fact that he feels like a failure. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And and, and there's a hesitation. And, And in my mind, I'm just sure what all those other men are thinking. Yeah, go ahead and big talk it again, big talker. And Peter said, yes, Lord. And then Jesus asked him again, Simon, Peter, do you love me? And I'm sure to... Thoughts in the men, other men's mind were even bigger because they're like, ah, oh, he didn't take that. He ain't letting you off the hook so easy. He's asking you again in front of us that know you. Do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he asked him a third time, and the Bible says, and it grieved Peter because the Lord had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he felt the doubt in the group, and he felt the failure in his own heart. But his response was impactful if you'll receive it for yourself. In desperation of brokenheartedness, he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And if you examine the words, you know, we come back to the same word, you know, this, this deep penetration of to the inner thoughts of who you are. And it's intimating that Peter realized these other men might not know, but you know. These other men might see me as a failure, but you know. These are All the world and even myself may think I'm nothing but a low-down, good-for-nothing sinner that doesn't really love you, but you know. Christian, I want you to know this morning, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter what anybody else thinks about you, if you are truly born again, God knows who you really are, and He loves you. That's good news to every real Christian, but it's bad news to church folk. See, when I talk about church folk, I'm talking about people who come to church but aren't truly born again. And I believe that represents at least 75% of everyone in church. There's reasons for that. I'm not going to get into them, but there's theological reasons to prove that three out of four people in church aren't truly born again. And so church folk, this is bad news for you because God knows. You might have heard the old expression, you can fool some of the people, what? You can not fool most of the people, how? But you can't fool God. See, you come into church unsaved. Hoping people think that you fit in. When the whole time, that uneasiness in your heart, that fearfulness in your mind, do they know? I wonder if they see through me. I wonder if they know that I'm not really. If you know that you're not truly saved, why just sit in church? Why not become the church? There's a mandate for transformation And the reality is it doesn't matter if you fool your spouse, your parents, your children, your friends, or the preacher. You can't fool God. Why? Because He knows. He knows who you are. The psalmist said, you know when I sit down or stand up. God knows everything about you when you're still or when you're moving. When you're asleep or when you're awake. He said, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. Now, (laughs) the psalmist has already told us that there's nowhere you can go to get away from God. The psalmist said that if I go to the highest mountain, you're there. If I go to the lowest valley, you're there. If I I go to the the, the, the depths of the sea, that you're still there. So where is this dude talking about when I'm far away? If God is everywhere, how can you be far away from God? Here's how. Now, I've made lots of fun of this one expression. You can't can't praise God how? Somebody tell me. Can't praise God in your heart, all right? Praise is a verb. Praise is a verb. It's like when people tell me and I ask them, how do you praise God? Well, Pastor, I praise God in my heart. Now, you can't praise God in your heart. That would be like me telling somebody I love working out. And they say, do you use free weights or, or 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 machines? And I'm like, oh no, not the sweating kind. Not the I don't, I don't do anything. I just I, I lift weights in my heart. You can't do a verb in your heart, okay? We understand that, but flip in your heart away from doing a verb and put it into the internal mindset, which is what is meant by in your heart. And the the, the Hebrews saw the heart as as a as the the place where thought derived from, and when you're far away, the psalmist knew, I can't geographically get far away from God because he's everywhere, but you can be far away from him in your heart. You can be removed in your thoughts and in your emotions from who God is, where God is, and what he should mean to you. God knows your thoughts, whether you're, Following him, sitting still, or walking away from him. And I believe that we've got all three of those different types of people represented in the room this morning. I believe we have people here who are following him. They know God is everywhere, but they want to be closer to God. How do you get closer to something that's everywhere? Am I closer now? Well, I was close then. Am I I closer now? Warm? Am I cold? God is everywhere. I can't geographically get closer to him. I can't even geographically follow him if he's everywhere, but I can follow him on the inside with my thoughts, with my heart, with my love, with my affection. There are people in the room that are following him. There are also people in the room that are just sitting down, uh, just doing nothing. Lost and saved people can be in this group. Only saved people can be in the first group. The first group is followers. Say follow. The second group is sitters. Say sit. You can be lost or saved as a sitter. Church folk can come and sit in a chair. Anybody can sit in a chair. But there are lost people sitting in chairs today, and there are saved people sitting in chairs today. Check this out, though. But if you're group two, You're surrounded by some Christians and some non-Christians. But if you're in group two, group one is the followers. Group two is the sinners. If you're in group two, you're doing nothing. Sitting is static. You are doing nothing. You're not getting better. You're not getting worse. You're just bumping along. God did not create this universe and put human beings in it so you could do nothing. Find purpose to your life. Find meaning to your life. Listen, let let me speak especially to men. God did not put you at the top of the food chain to be nothing. God did not put you at the top of the food chain so you could just sit there and accomplish nothing. There is no higher apex predator on the planet than the human man. Man has been created by God to be mountain climbers and dragon slayers, to take dominion over everything that there is. And there are too many men who are sitting doing nothing when they should be standing up following God, leading their family in prayer, leading their family in devotion, leading their family in following God. We've got followers. We've got sitters. And we've got runners. First group, followers. They're they're all saved. Second group, sitters. There's some lost people in there. And sadly, there's some saved people in there. Listen, if you're lost and you're sitting, that makes sense. If you're saved and you're sitting, that don't make sense at all. If you call yourself a Christian and you know all that God has done for you and you're content to do nothing for him, then, then there's something wrong with you altogether. But the third group, those are the runners. They're running away. They're running in the other direction. They're chasing sin. They're diving headlong into perversion and into immorality. And they're doing what God would not have them to do. They're running away from God. The majority of this group, if not all of this group, are unsaved people. By wild exception, there may be one person in America that truly saved It fits into that group. But I tell you this, if I was running away from God chasing immorality, And I have people ask me all the time, Pastor Scott, what if somebody who used to be a Christian uh, turned to drugs, alcohol, and got drunk and died in a car wreck? Will they still go to heaven? I don't even answer that question for them. I'm like, what type of Christian do you want to be that don't follow God and gets drunk and dies in a car wreck? And I don't want to stand before God with that as my testimony. When I step out of this life into judgment, I plan on standing before God with his love fully in my heart and me being a follower. I'm a group one man. I'm group one man all day long. I want to be a follower. I, 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 this sitting down, this standing up, all that's good, but I want to be chasing the, the 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 scripture says that we are designed to follow hard after God. You ought to be pressing your way through adversity. You ought to be pressing your way through difficult times. You ought to be pressing your way on good days, sad days, happy days, and bad days. You ought to be following after God with this understanding that God knows my thoughts even when I'm running. Even when you're running, God knows your thoughts. It's not just his children's thoughts he knows. He knows saved people and unsaved people's thoughts because he knows everything. You don't have to say it out loud for God to hear it. You, if you've been around somebody long enough, you can look at them, and they don't have to say anything, and you know what's in their head. You've been around them long enough. You, you, you can tell what's going on with them. I had one of my kids the other day. I walked past him, and it would just, just walked past him and said, What's wrong, son? And, and he said nothing and kept walking. I said, hey, stop, Turn don't, don't lie to me. I'm your father. I know when something's wrong. If you've been around somebody long enough and you know them, listen, if you love your spouse and y'all been together for, for more than a minute, there's certain things that you can see on their face they don't even have to say. If you're a, the right kind of parent and you love your children, you can just look in their eyes and know when they're lying to you. You you can look in their eyes and know when when something's right or when something is wrong. God knows his children's inner thoughts. God knows everyone's inner thoughts. Because here's, here's, here's one thing I want you to get this morning that's not easy to understand. But he knows everything. Everything. Now see, the smart aleck in the room, the troublemaker in the room, the wise guy in the room. There's different words for that, but they ain't holy, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> He's thinking, or she's thinking, does he know what number I'm thinking right now? You need salvation. Well, does he know what color I'm thinking about right now? You need salvation too. Thoughts are deeper than that, but yes, he does know the number, and he does know the color. I want you to desire to follow God, knowing that He sees you sitting down, standing up, and He sees you even when you're walking away. The Bible says that When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, they were perfectly right with God. They chose to sin, broke their fellowship with God. God says he's too pure to look on sin, so there became a separation. There had to be blood shed. God clothed their nakedness with the skins of an animal, and they were forgiven and brought back to God. Now, because of sin, we're separated from God. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for us, because the Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins, and it's the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us Back to God. So if you're truly a Christian, you have God inside you, the scripture says. If you're truly born again, you become one of God's children. Some people have bad theology and they believe that all human beings are God's children. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. All human beings are not children of God. All human beings are creations of God. All human beings cannot be children of God because Jesus looked at a group of people when he was walking on the planet. And he said, your father is not God. Your your father is the devil. And you long to do his deeds and his will. So we've got people who are children of God. And we have people who are children of the devil. I don't think I should have to preach long for you to decide which one of those is right and which one of those is wrong. But you either are here today as a child of God or a child of the devil. And if you're here and you claim Christianity, if you claim to be a child of God, I want you to hear what the Bible says in John 1, 12. Because you weren't always a Christian. There had to be a day and a time in your life where you became a Christian. In St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I want you to see in this verse as many. In other places it says whosoever will. Anybody who comes to him, the Bible says, he will receive them. And as many as receive him, something special happens to people who are willing to receive Jesus Christ. God gives them power. Say power. Power to do something. And I want you to look on the screen and see what it is power to do. It is power to become the sons of God. Remember in the Bible when it says son, it's not always talking gender specific. It's, it's talking uh, as, as across spectrum of gender. This is said in other translations, children of God. But you have to get power from God to become his child. You can't do it on your own. You can't make yourself better. Listen, if people could make themselves better on their own, everybody just quit drinking. Quit smoking, quit cussing, quit whore quit quit being lazy. We, we'd all just snap our fingers and be fixed, but we need something bigger than us. We need to receive power from God to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. This all sounds very easy. And God made becoming a Christian easy for us. He took the hard part. As many as received Him. So we have to receive Him. The last phrase says, even to them that believe on His name. We have to believe in Him. It's easy to say you believe in God. Everybody in this room believes in Jesus our calendar is set up on Jesus. It's, it's 2017 based on the life of Jesus. But everybody doesn't believe the right things about him. I like the way this verse reads in the Amplified Version. Look at what it says. But to as many as did receive and welcome him. Ah. We've expanded the meaning of these Hebrew words. It's not just do you receive him into your life. Do you welcome him into your life? You see, God is the type of of parents that you can't shut the door on. I, I'm that kind of guy too. I already told my kids, they don't own no door in my house. You know what I mean? I'll shut the door to my bedroom. They don't own no bedrooms in my house. When, when I pay for that four-bedroom house, I pay for all of them. Amen? But don't let your children slam doors. God doesn't allow you to slam doors on, on your relationship with him. If you try to slam doors on God, that's indicative that you're not truly his child. Because God don't have slamming doors in His face. You have to receive Him into your life, and you have to welcome Him. That's your part. Look what He does. He gave the right, the authority, the privilege. You realize it's a privilege just to become a Christian? You have to become a Christian. None of us are born saved. The Bible says that we're all born lost. But you have to become a Christian. For me, that happened on July fifteenth, 1981. I don't know when it happened to you. But that was the day where God gave me the authority to be his child. That was the day where God gave me the authority to say, Jehovah is my Father. He adopted me in a covenant-binding process called salvation. It was a privilege for me to become a child of God. Listen, here's the explanation. That is, to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on His name. That's who Christians are. That's who saved people are. That's who the children of God are. People who believe in his name, adhere to what his name stands for, trust in who he is, and rely on only him for eternal life. Are you that kind of Christian? Are you that t- are you a Bible type of Christian? Because that's the only real Christian that there is. As children of God, there's an inner desire in all of us to want to please our Father. That's innate in every child. All good children want to please their good father, and we need to be good children that want to please our heavenly father. And I've told you for years, if you want what others have, you got to do what they did to get it. And I believe that's one of the big reasons why you need to study the Bible. So you can find successful people in the Bible and do what they did, and you have success. You can find unsuccessful people in the Bible and avoid doing what they did so you can avoid having the punishment that they received. One of the most incredible people to study in the Bible for me is King David. He, one of the central figures in the Old Testament, and he had some stuff that I want. And if I want what he has, i got to do what he did to get it. Listen to some things he had. I can just give you two off the top. He had great closeness with God. He had a deep, intimate relationship with God. But not only that, he had success in every area of his life. You ought to want to be close to your father, and you ought to want to have your father's blessing so you can succeed in life. And if you're that kind of Christian, I want you to hear what David said. We're going to look at a few verses out of Psalm 19, and then we're going to get out of here. Early this morning, in Psalm 19:7, the Bible says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, comma. When you see punctuation in the Bible, you need to pause on the punctuation, help you understand what it's saying. The instructions of the Lord are perfect. Do we really believe that? Well, the drunk who don't want to stop being a drunk doesn't believe that, or he'd stop being a drunk. The whoremonger who doesn't want to stop being a whoremonger doesn't believe that, or he stop being a whoremonger. The lazy person who doesn't want to stop being lazy doesn't believe that, or he'd stop being lazy because the Bible instructs against all those things. And the Scripture says that these instructions are perfect. But I want you to see what else it says besides being perfect. It says the instructions of the Lord revive the soul. I did some study on that word revive in the original Hebrew language and the the closest word I could come up with besides revive is to energize to energize to put energy back into something and this is the missing ingredient in most Christians lives you lost your energy you love God on the inside but you lost your energy You used to serve God passionately, but you lost your energy. You used to pray, but you lost your energy for prayer. You used to study the Bible, but you lost your energy for studying the Bible. You used to come to midweek Bible study, but you can't find the energy to do the things you used to do for God anymore. Well, the instructions of the Lord will give you energy in your soul. The instruction of the Lord will bring life back. That's what revive means. It will bring life back to your soul. So if you're feeling down, if you're feeling less energized, if you're feeling you've lost your meaning or life's not as valuable to you as it should, you need to get into the book because it's in this book that you'll find the instructions of the Lord and they are perfect and they'll bring energy to your soul. He went on to say the decrees of the Lord are trustworthy. comma Pause on that. Do you believe you can trust what this book says? This, I've heard people tell me that religion is responsible for every single war in the history of mankind. To which I say, well, not really. I mean, this country went to war over oil. I mean, what religion have to do with that? This country went to war over supposed weapons of mass destruction. What religion have to do with that? Albeit religion does and has created a lot of conflict and, and a lot of wars have been fought in the name of gods and false gods. But that's just conversation that unsaved people have. As a Christian, you need to ask yourself, do you trust what the book says? Do you trust what the book says? See, if we trust what the book says, we'd be praying people. Because the Bible is benefits for prayer. If we trust what the book says, if y'all don't sit up on that back row, Seth Becker, and stop laughing with your friend, I am going to make y'all stand up here, take y'all shirts off, and flex muscles in front of this whole crowd. No more warnings. See, when you distract a preacher and you live in his house, that's not a good thing. Especially since I don't know where I was. Trustworthy. Say trust. We don't trust the word the way we should. If we trusted the word, we'd be chasing the promises. If I told you that underneath one of these chairs is a stack of money this thick. Well, this thick right here. And I say this thick. Well, no, this thick. I say this thick for a reason. Because I one time took $100,000 out of my bank account just because I wanted to hold it in my hand. And $100,000 in $100 bills is that thick. You'd think it'd be more, wouldn't you? But I can barely get my hands around hundred dollars So I could put hundred dollars under one of them chairs, put in two stacks, tape it up. If I told you there was $100,000 under one of these chairs, 300 chairs in here, $100,000 under one of these chairs, and whoever gets to it first can keep it. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Minister Jeff's already looking. He's like, hey, you don't know about Pastor. He might have been nuts. He might have lost his mind from that back pain. If I told you there was $100,000 on one of these chairs and whoever got to it first could have it, and y'all believe that for real, y'all would be kicking these chairs over. Throwing women and children to the side. Throwing bows, knees, and strong pimp hands. Pulling folk off it. One one little girl, get under the chair and say, I found it. Wham! He didn't say who found it. He said who got it. I got it. You'd be going for that money. But the Bible says if you do what he says, you can have his promises. We're not willing to search for those because we believe in $100,000. We just don't trust what God says. We need to trust what God says so we can have what he desires us to have in our life. That's why I told you all, I can't, I can't sit still when these people start their church services with these cliches, all of them copying Joel in, in Lakewood, all, all of them, this is my Bible. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have, and and I can do what it says I can do. All I'm thinking when they're going through that is, no, you don't. You ain't who it says you are because you don't do what it tells you to do to get it. You don't have what it says you can have because you don't do what it tells you to do so you can get it. You, 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 you don't access these things by osmosis. you, you got to trust in what God says, and you have to obey. That's why I love the old hymns of the faith, because they were written with biblical context. One of the old hymns we used to sing is, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Real Christian trust God. We need to learn how to trust God. Why? Because it will make wise the simple. Who are you calling simple? You? Me? All of us compared to God are simple-minded. God is is infinity-minded. But God says he can make us wise. Through the instructions of the Lord. The instructions are perfect. The instructions energize the soul. The the instructions are trustworthy. And the instructions will make wise the simple. Verse 8 says the commandments of the Lord are right. Do you believe that? The commandments of the Lord are right. I'll give you a command that I know people don't believe in. The Bible says on the first day of the week, lay aside 10% of all your financial increase and bring it to the church. And give it. Oh, well, we quit believing the Bible all of a sudden. Well, I misspoke, Pastor. I'm not, that, I'm not that kind of Christian. I know. The commandments of the Lord are right. We need to believe that. God's way is better than our way. God sees from a higher perch than we see. God knows the end from the beginning, and His commandments are right, and they bring joy to the heart. You want to have real joy? You want to get energy for your soul and joy in your heart? You need to get in the book, and you need to follow what the book says because the commandments of God not only are right, but they will bring joy to your heart. You want to know what the remedy for depression is? Bible study. You want to know what the remedy for laziness is? Bible study. You want to know what the remedy is for being broke? Pay tithes and give offerings. That's what the Word says. The commands of the Lord are clear. It's it's easy to read. It's not always acceptable to us, though. It's easy to read. It's it's not always something that we want to do. When your mom or daddy told you something, you knew they were telling you what they meant. You knew they were telling you what was right. You knew you were about to get that spanking. And when, when grandmama said, go outside and get me a switch, you knew what she was going to do with that switch? You know no doubts in your mind. You knew exactly what she was going to do with that switch. According to Charles Barkley, at least the black people in the room knew what she was going to do with that switch. <laughs> what was that dude got in trouble for hitting his child? Adrian Peterson. he weekend dad. Got his child. Took a, sw- took a branch off a tree. Hit him with it. Scratched the back of his leg. Mom- mother pressed charges. His girl, ex-girlfriend pressed charges. and he, he, Charles Barkley said, man, that's ridiculous. He said every black person in America has been beat with a stick, a switch, a baseball bat, a club, something. That, he didn't hurt that child. You know what she's going to do with that switch. And you know she's right about it. But do you believe the commandments of God are right? If you believe they're right, and they'll bring joy to your heart. They're clear it's no mystery to what's going on when God commands you to do something the intent is there it's obvious. You know that when God says to study to show yourself approved if you don't study you're not approved. You know when God says give and it should be given unto you if you don't give it's not going to be given unto you. You know the Bible says you reap what you sow so if you don't sow you can't reap. You know the Bible says that if you want to have friends you've got to show yourself friendly so if you don't show yourself friendly you're not going to have friends and on and on and on and on and on these things are clear and they will give insight for your life last two words for living for living say living I propose to you that most people in this room are not living they're existing existing Jesus said I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly One version says that you might have life to the full, a full life, a meaningful life, an abundant life. Not just then. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. That's then. That's eternal life. That's on the other side of this world. Then he said, but that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's in this world. God wants you to have eternal life then, but he wants you to have an abundant life now, a meaningful life, a life full of power, a life full of energy. And most people don't have that kind of life. They're just existing. How you doing today? Now, most people, life, they've been in church, they're blessed and highly favored, and always ahead, not tail, and all that other foolishness. But some people, even though the answer is sad, at least they're telling the truth. How you doing today? I'm barely holding on, Reverend. Just making it. Just trying to get to tomorrow. That's where most people are, holding on, barely making it. That's not living. That's existing. If all your life amounts to is going to work on Monday so you can get enough money to pay the bills so you can get up and go to work on Tuesday, so you can make enough money to pay the bills to get up and go to work on Wednesday, that is not living. That's just existing. If, if all you're doing is getting up, Going to school, coming home, watch TV, going to sleep so you can get up, go to school, come home, watch TV, and go to sleep. That is not living. That is existing. And it's the commands of the Lord that will give you the insight, the thoughts in your mind, the proper understanding so you can be one of the living and stop being those who are existing. Verse 9 says, reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. Do you love the lord do you do you reverence god do you hold him in high esteem the verse goes on to say the laws of the lord are true each one is fair i've met more people that disagree with the last four words on the screen than probably anything else that i've tried to teach them in the bible each one of god's laws are fair the majority of the counseling i've done over 30 years in ministry have surrounded, been surrounded by people whose basic belief was God's just not fair. He's just not fair. People think God hadn't given them a fair shake in life. Why has my brother got all this when I only got that? Why she getting the promotion on the job but I didn't? Why's life got to be so hard on me when other people blah, 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 blah? That's all your mind telling you God is not fair. And I want to tell you something. You better thank God that he's not always fair. Because if he was fair, we'd get what we deserve. But he's better than fair. He's gracious, and he's merciful, and he's kind, and he's loving, and he's generous. And he makes us a way for us to not only have eternal life, but to have an abundant life now. And his laws are always true, and his laws are are always fair, even though he's gracious in administering them many times. Verse 10 says, they're more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. Now, nobody in the room believes that. I mean, we say we believe it, but I already told y'all, if I put $100,000 stacked onto one of these chairs, I said, all right, here's what we got. We got two things. Anybody that gets it, anybody that grabs it can have it. Under one of these chairs, we got $100,000 in cash. Under one of these chairs, i got a stack of my favorite 25 Bible commandments. You can have the commandments in the Bible, or you can have the cash. Guess what people want? They want the cash. Why? Because they don't believe that God's instructions are more desirable than gold, even the finest of gold. They don't believe that they're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the honeycomb. Now, you've got to understand, in this society, food was scarce, and good food was even scarcer. We're spoiled right now. We got kids that look at food on a plate and say, I don't like that. 5,000 years ago, you ate what there was to eat. 50 years ago, you ate what there was to eat. But so this, this this is an upgrade. This is something, sweet honey dripping right from the cup. Co- I mean, that right there, that's in your dessert wheelhouse. That's like grandmama's peach cobbler. This was something that was extra special for that generation. And the psalmist is writing so we can know. You, you love gold and you got a sweet tooth? That's nothing compared to God's instruction. We say amen, but we'd rather have peach cobbler than the Bible. You say, I don't like peach cobbler. There's therapy for people like you. Verse 11, and banana pudding. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. These things, they are what? Instructions. God's instructions are a warning to everybody who serves him. One of the reasons you need to read the Bible is so you can see the warning signs. Warning signs will help you. You see that sign that says bridge out ahead? Don't keep driving eighty. Shouldn't have been driving eighty to begin with. Be, don't be driving. Keep driving, no no speed limit. Warning signs can be found. They're a great reward for those who what? They're a great reward for those who sit in church and call themselves Christian but never do anything about it. No. There are a great reward for those who sometimes follow God and sometimes... No, they're a great reward for those who obey them. you want to start getting a reward from your belief system, you want Christianity to start falling back into your real life, you got to follow the commands of God. That's where the reward is. Verse 12 says, this is psalmist being honest. He says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? You know what he's saying in, in, in modern day 20... 17 speech, I'm just all jacked up. I am so messed up, I can't even begin to tell you how jammed up I am. And then he cries out, "Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Now if the psalmist had hidden faults, is it possible to think that you've got hidden faults? The Bible says some people sin go before them while others follow. Now, see, in church, church folk have made some sins more, more uh, easy to bad mouth, made some sins as if they were higher in rank, and they pick on sins. The church picks on smoking, drinking, and whoremongering, okay? Well, they're no different, they're no worse than gossiping, laziness, and lack of prayer because they're all a violation of God's commands. But I can't see how much time you spend in prayer. If you walk up with a cigarette in your lips and a, and a, and a, a, a fifth of Jack Daniels in your hand, no glass needed, well, your sins went before. But all of us have sins that are following, that only God can see. And, and 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 the psalmist said, cleanse me from even these hidden things. Even some people don't know. I know how jacked up I am, but everybody doesn't know. Cleanse me from all this stuff. And he says in verse 13, keep your servant from deliberate sins. Theologians, Bible scholars, Sunday school teachers will tell you that there are sins of commission and sins of what? Omission. Some things you commit and some things you omit, things you do deliberately that you shouldn't do, and things that you don't do you omit doing that you should do. We all have things that we do even when we know they're wrong. Do you understand how badly that needs to be punished? If my son knocks over a glass of milk at the table, well, who am I kidding? If my son knocks over a glass of Coke at the table, I'm not going to beat him for making a mistake. He didn't mean to do that. If I come home and I find him in the garage tearing up pictures in in, in my memory box, just ripping them up and throwing them in the air, call 911. H-R-S-T-L-Z-B-Y-X-L-G-F, all of them. Because it is about to be some heavy punishment going down for deliberate acts against your father. And we all do it. If you didn't get beat today by God, you you ought to thank him for not being fair to you. You deserve it. My child doesn't believe he deserves an honest mistake, but he knows he deserved to be beat for doing something deliberate against me. I can't believe he beat you. It's a different story for a different crowd you beat yours, they, they sit still most of the time. Then he said, or he goes on to say, don't let them control me. There are people in this room that are controlled by deliberate sin. You choose to do things that God has told you not to do. And they, they, they used to be small things in your life. Then they grew to be bigger things in their life. Then they grew to have control over you psalmist said, don't let them control me. If you're not being controlled by these deliberate sins, if you're staying away from deliberate sins, if you're obeying the words of God, then, when is then? Then is always after. After all that, you will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. Ooh! If you lived in a house full of children... And Mama looked at all y'all and said, I am calling your father, and he is going to have it out with you when he gets home. (laughs) Ha, ha, Well, Dad walks in the room. If you know that you ain't done nothing wrong and you've been the good child, You can just sit back and say, I'm about to watch this show because everybody get tore up in here. I'm free of guilt. I'm innocent of great sin. She wasn't talking about me. She was talking about Junior because he's ignorant and he's hard-headed and he won't do what Mama told him to do. And Daddy's about to get on him, but not me. Why not me? Because I'm free of guilt. Why not me? Because I'm innocent of great sin. I mess around a little bit. I make some innocent mistakes every now and then, but I'm not doing great sin. If you're doing great sin, man, just pull your britches down, lay across the belts of the bed, son. It's coming. You need to be praying and asking God to keep you from sin so you can be free. Of guilt and innocent of great sin. Verse 14, and I'm done. said, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and, and means there's more. Not just the words of my mouth, but the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you understand that God is your redeemer and you trust him to steady you and stabilize you, then you need to be concerned about the words of your mouth and the thoughts in your mind. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. We already saw that God hears your thoughts even when you're far away, that God knows exactly what you're thinking. The psalmist understands this, so he says, not just the words of my mouth, but the thoughts in my mind, I want them to be pleasing to you. If we played all the words out of your mouth for the last week, let's just last 24 hours. If we, yesterday was Saturday, we got a full base from there. <laughs> we got a whole line up from just Saturday. If we played the words out of your mouth yesterday, right here in church, the large church, how would you look? Then you'd, then you'd be up on the altar, I need thee, oh. I need thee. The words of your mouth, you need to get serious about what comes out of your mouth. You need to get serious about what comes out of your mouth. God created everything that there is with words. And you need to understand that words are influential. And you need to watch what's coming out of your mouth people are listening. Your mind is being shaped by the words that come out of your mouth and God is hearing what you say. People around you might not hear what you think, but God's hearing what you think too. So we need to be concerned. This, this, this is the big thing right here. We, we need to be concerned with our thoughts and the words that come out of our mouth. He went on to say, the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. Do you meditate i know you don't i mean 99% of people in, in in western civilized world don't meditate it's 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 wild if you read your bible 7 days in a week it's wild if you read your bible and pray 7 days in a week to sit down and to meditate to just think to clear your mind and and have deep concentration on something of Important. Psalm 119.52 says, I meditate on your age-old regulations, O Lord. Why does he do that according to the last three words on the screen? Because they comfort me. I meditate on your age-old regulations. I ain't trying to hear all them Bible commands. I ain't trying to hear all them Scripture. Well, the psalmist understood the truth. They comfort you. You sit down and just think about the words of God. Just quiet yourself. The Scripture tells us to be still and commune with God, to just think about him, to meditate. Psalm 48, 9 says, Oh, God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. We meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. I don't know how this would really play out in life. I know it's true, I know it's right, I know it's God's word. Scripture says that we should meditate on his unfailing love as we worship in his temple. What if instead of just having praise and worship music, preaching an offering, handshaking and going home, what if we just sat still, were quiet and meditated on God's unfailing love. You want something to meditate on? Think about how much he loves you when he didn't have to. Think about how much he loves you when you were acting ignorant. Think about how much he loves you when you were running away from him, when you weren't following him, when you weren't even sitting still, when you were running. Third crowd. Think about his unfailing. It, it, it never fails. His love never fails. On your good day, his love doesn't fail. On your bad day, his love doesn't fail. On days when you're healthy and days when you're sick, when days when your bills are paid and days when you're broke, his love is there. It doesn't mean anything to you. See, it meant something to the psalmist. That's why he said, I meditate on it. It brings me comfort. Oh how he loves you and me. We're a fast-paced society even in the south compared to what God would have us to be. We rush from place to place. The Bible has told us that we need to learn how to come in and we need to learn how to go out. But we've replaced all that with activity. And we've replaced all that with running from pillar to post, seeing who can do the most, and being exhausted at the end of the day. When God's plan for our life is that we meditate on his love, his unfailing love. When's the last time you just sat still in a room for five minutes and thought about how awesome it is that God loves you? See, if you start thinking about that, it's going to be real easy for you to understand why he would love other people. I mean, it's super easy to understand why God loves nice people. It's real easy to understand why God loves the the, the better than me people. But God loves me. And God loves you. You need to get it in your head. You need to get it in your head. This, this is the punchline. This is the big takeaway. I'm not going to read anything else today. But I want you to know that God loves you. And he'll never stop. It's unfailing. You can't buy it and you can't run it off. You can't make him start and you can't make him stop. Because his love for you is unfailing. The Bible says that he loved us before we even knew him. He loves us forever. Get it in your head. This is my challenge to you. This week, I want you to sit still somewhere quiet. Get alone somewhere quiet. And I want you just to spend five minutes without sound, without music, with your technology shut down, and just think about the fact that God loves you and he won't give up on you. And just keep thinking about it. Keep thinking about it. Just keep telling yourself. See, no one is good at something that they haven't done a lot of times. You can't be great at something that you haven't done a lot of times. And if you haven't done a lot of meditation, it'll be difficult for you. So what you have to do is just keep telling yourself, He loves me. God loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Parents, you need to tell your children, God loves you, son. God loves you, daughter. Husbands, you need to tell your wives, God loves you. Wives, you need to tell your husbands, God loves you. Because we don't really get it. Because if we really got it, we'd be comforted. If we really understood how great his love was, we wouldn't worry about who lives in what home, who drives what, who makes what, who's got what. He doesn't love you any more than he loves me, and he doesn't love me more than he loves you. His love is unfailing for all of us. And I want you to think about it in the quiet place. Find a quiet place this week and meditate on his love. We're going to come here tonight, and we're going to do exactly this verse. That's why I chose this verse to close with. We haven't been having Sunday night church for the last couple of months, but I started back a week or two ago, and we're not really having church at night. There's no music at all, no, no, no singing, uh, no, no band. We're not even putting on the prayer music that we put on for consecration. We're just coming in. We're going to take these prayer lists, and we're going we're to spread them out, and we're going to pray, and we're going to meditate on God's unfailing love. If you haven't noticed these two books up here, I want you to notice them. This book right here is for people who you want to see saved myself and several other people are coming up here on Sunday nights, and we're praying over these names. And if there's a a person, and you ought to have somebody's name that you know that's unsaved, I want you to write their name down in this book on this side. And I want you to put today's date next to it. And when God saves them, I want you to come and find their name in this book, and I want you to put the date that God saved them, because I believe God wants to start saving our children and our family members and our friends. This book on this side is for healing and every other kind of prayer request other than salvation. And at the very top of this book has my name, Scott Becker, and just written the four-letter word back. Pray for my back. I've been dealing with this back injury for six years, and it is time to get better. Put your name the prayer request you want us to pray for, and the day's date. And when God answers that prayer, I want you to come find that. I'm going to highlight it, circle it, put stars by it, and, 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 and throw a party when God heals my back. And I want you to put down salvation requests, and I want you to put down healing and prayer requests. We're going to be up here tonight at 6 o'clock praying and meditating. And if you can come, I want you to come. If you can't, I want you to spend time this week loving God because if you do what he tells you to do, then you can have what he said you can have. Pray with me. God, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for all of your promises and all of your commands. God, I pray that you would help us trust in you and believe in your word and know that we have to do what you tell us to do so we can live the lives that you created us for. God, I pray that you would strengthen us to trust and to obey. Strengthen our faith, God. Help us, Lord, to believe in you. Help us to trust you. Help us to have faith that your way is better than our way. God, I pray for every person in the room who's not saved. I pray that you would show your love to them, reveal yourself to them in such a real way that they would be saved. For every real Christian in the room, God, I pray you'd let us follow hard after you. Let us realize you know our thoughts. You hear our words. And let us honor you with our life is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at Now.